Good morning. It is great to be here today. Is anyone tired of summer yet? Anyone? No? Okay, that's good. <laughs> Feels like it's just started in a lot of ways, and that's, I think, probably where a few people are today. However, it's great that all of you are, are here today worshiping God together. It's always a privilege to be in God's house. This is uh, continuing in our series in David this morning. I know uh, the text that I had Reuben read for us is kind of the tail end of a story. To read the whole thing would have been a little long and probably convoluted, so we just kind of focused on one point, but we're going to uh, be looking at a number of different scriptures this morning as we look at, continue to look at David. Up until this point in our series on David, we've been mostly looking at the hero, David, the shining example of obedience, always doing the right thing. This morning's going to be a little bit of a twist as we see David in a slightly different light. And uh, we're going to see that as we go through our text this morning. And now as we prepare to hear from God's word, would you bow with me and let's pray. Father God, it is a privilege to be here in your house with your people this morning. Thank you, God, for the blessing of your Holy Spirit who is here even now. That, Father, it is through your Spirit that you give us understanding to your word that you convict our hearts, Lord, of sin, and that you also convict us, Lord, of righteousness, of what you would have us do to live in better and further obedience to you. And so, God, as we consider that this morning, I pray that you would open our, he- our ears, Lord, to what you have for us and our hearts, Lord, to receive it. Lord, this message this morning is not a particularly easy subject to delve into. And as we look at our world today, Lord, we see... All around us, Father, the effects of the enemy's hand, of how he has, through Lord, many different ways, destroyed families, marriages, and homes. We, we see, Lord, that in this there is much devastation, there is much hurt, and that, Lord, we know that your way is the best way. And that so often it's when we go away from your plan, your ordained order, that we bring this, this pain and these consequences upon ourselves And so, Father, I pray that as we enter your word today, would you speak through me? Give me boldness, Lord, to speak your word as I should. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive it as from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a well-known story that probably some of you have heard before of an incident in Mark Twain's life where he was pushed into an argument on the issue of polygamy by a Mormon man. Now, this was back in the 1800s, where the Mormons having multiple wives was a a very common practice. And so, after a long and tedious exposition justifying this practice, the Mormon decided that Twain needed to just come up with a valid reason from Scripture as to why he was not allowed to have more than one wife. And so, he challenged Mark Twain to expressly uh, point out one piece of Scripture that forbade this practice. To which Mark Twain quickly replied, Nothing easier. No man can serve two masters. Now, to be sure, Mark Twain was known for his quick wit, and he may have been using that scripture just slightly out of context. But nonetheless, he makes the point that a man having more than one wife is going to inevitably lead to some sort of trouble, isn't it? Now, unfortunately for David, he has to learn this lesson the hard way. Now, we know that by the end of his life, all told, when we, when we tabulate the numbers, David ends up with nine wives and an unknown number of concubines. 
Now, in our series on David, A Man After God's Heart, up until this point, we've been focusing on exactly that. Here is a a man of pure intention, a man who's pursuing God with everything that he has. He's not perfect, but he's wholehearted in going after God and being obedient. And up until this point, we've seen his love for God, coupled with his courage and his enthusiasm. It has translated into tremendous success in whatever he does. He defeats Goliath, and he goes on from there to victory upon victory. But even as we look at this success, it is in his relationships with women where we discover David's greatest weakness, which will ultimately lead to his greatest failure. Now, it's important for us to recognize that though David was a man after God's own heart, he was not perfect, far from it, in fact. And even there, there is a lesson to be learned and the encouragement that God uses flawed people for his glory. And now, as shocking as polygamy may be for our culture and customs today, we must remember that in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, polygamy was a normal practice, especially for anyone rich and powerful like a king. So David could have easily, easily rationalized it to himself by saying, everyone else is doing it, why can't I? But really, David didn't even need to justify his actions to anyone. He was king, after all. However, he still had to answer to God, and he still had to deal with the consequences of his actions. And of course, David's desire for beautiful women did not surprise God in the least. You see, nothing surprises God. In fact, it was God who created David as a sexual being, just as he has all others from Adam right through to the men and women present here today. And just to be perfectly clear today, this is not something to be ashamed of. God made you with a sexual drive. He has said from the very beginning, his command to Adam and Eve was, Be fruitful and multiply. And so in this, we see that this is not something to be ashamed of. In fact, we need to recognize that too often we compartmentalize who we are as human beings. We believe that, that well, spirituality is something completely separate from our sexuality or from our emotions or from our work life. And yet, God has created us as holistic beings. And so one part of our being affects all other parts of our lives as well. And so sexuality is an important component of how God has created us. It was he who said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, and that was the basis for what they would do in the garden and building civilization. However, God's intent was always for this sexual drive to be acted upon within the specific and sacred bonds of a committed, lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. Of course, we go back to creation again for God's ordination of marriage, that for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Lord Jesus reaffirmed that design in Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6, where he says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And this, my friends, is still God's ultimate design for human sexuality, and that through it, children are born, families are blessed, and the husband and wife are fulfilled and happy and secure. But of course, we all know how this story continued. Sin happened. Disobedience happened. Adam and Eve realized they were naked, and ever since that point, sexuality has gone off the rails. The appetites of men and women have been affected drastically ever since. 
and of course our age-old enemy, the devil, who right from the very beginning recognized that using this temptation against us would wreak havoc on God's foundational building block of civilization, which is the marriage and the family. And so we see the wreckage of it all around us. Broken marriages and families are all over the place in our world today. And so the same temptations that we recognize happening today also happen in David's time. A perfect example would be from this past week's news headlines involving the internet company named Ashley Madison, whose slogan is this, Life is short, have an affair. Now, there's so many things wrong with that logic, but when a company's slogan is life is short, have an affair, well, it kind of tells you what they're all about. It's essentially a dating company for married people, which facilitates adultery by allowing users to sign up and be matched with someone else for a discreet affair. Of course, all of this is under the banner that your privacy is guaranteed. Well, all that is until, if you followed the news story this week, a group of hackers broke into their database, used all of that information, and dumped it on the internet. Wide open for all the world to see. And it's not just a few names. Millions of names were exposed in this data dump. Now, depending on your view of how far you believe culture's morality has fallen today, the list is shocking. It has exposed people from all walks of life, including countless government agencies, federally, provincially, and municipally. Um, It's affected things from the White House to the Pentagon to our own Canadian Parliament. Now, to be fair, it's not immediately clear whether all the names in this database were active users, but even if just half of them are, the numbers still run in the hundreds of thousands in Canada alone. The numbers were 50,000 within the city of Winnipeg alone. We're talking staggering numbers of people who have been using a cheating website to have an affair on their spouse. But again, though this may be shocking to us, it doesn't surprise God in the least. Remember, he already knew about all of their sin. This doesn't come as news to him. And so just as our culture's weakness towards sexual sin doesn't surprise God, David's weakness comes as no shock to him either. In fact, centuries before Israel's first king, God had already anticipated what would happen. And so he issued through Moses specific instructions to Israel's future kings in Deuteronomy 17 and verses 14 to 20. There within this set of instructions in verse 17, verse 17 comes a very specific instruction. He writes this to the future kings of Israel. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. This is centuries before David that God gave this specific instruction to the future kings, which of course included David. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. You see, God recognized the reality that though the man is the head of the home, it is the woman who turns the head. You've probably recognized that in your own life, possibly. You know, David's heart was after God. He was a man after God's own heart, but even God recognized that The love of a woman, and too many of them, could lead that heart from a pursuit of God to a pursuit of women, and therefore lead him astray. And God knows full well how great man's sinful appetite can be, and also how fickle man's heart can become. And so God wanted all future kings to be reminded of this instruction, and so in verses 18 to 20, they are explicitly told to have these instructions written down on a personal scroll, to carry it with them on their person at all times, and read it every single day as a reminder. 
Now, we don't know whether or not David did this, but what we do know is that he obviously disobeyed those instructions to not take many wives. And it's ironic, considering that David is the psalmist who wrote, How I delight in your law, O God. They are like honey on my, on my lips. And yet here we see David disobeying a law very explicitly directed towards him. And so, of course... As we consider David's taking on many wives, that in and of itself was not, of course, his greatest mistake or sin. But it culminated and it led towards his greatest mistake, of course, being his adultery with Bathsheba. That was not his only misstep. In fact, one could argue that it began with his very first love, the princess Michal. If you turn back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, we pick up the story there in verse 17 of Michael and David's romance right in the middle of Saul's ever-increasing jealousy of David. Now, we knew in previous weeks we saw how this jealousy so consumed Saul to the point that he even used his own daughters in a scheme in an attempt to destroy David. And now you'll recall that one of the promises Saul had made to the man who would defeat Goliath was to be given his daughter's hand in marriage. Verse 20 of chapter 18 tells us, Now Saul's daughter Michal was in love with David. Now, it's not hard to see why this might have happened, is it? She had fallen head head over heels in love with this dashing young man. Remember, Scripture described him as handsome. After his defeat of Goliath, he became a national hero. And remember that when they returned to Jerusalem triumphant, it was all the women who were singing David's praises. Who is this dashing young man? Talk about Prince Charming. And so it's easy to see how this military man captured Mikhail's heart. And simply put, in modern terms, you've probably heard a saying something like this, David was one of those men that all the other men wanted to be and someone that all the girls wanted to be with. And verse 20 continues, And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. And he thought to himself, I will give her to him, so that she may become a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Now, if that's not an example of a loving father, I don't know what is. You know, here we see a dad whose, whose lovely daughter, Michal, his only motivation for giving, him to, giving her to David was not for honor or for her happiness. His motivation was that he believed that the love-struck David would become distracted, become careless in battle, make a mistake, and end up costing him his life at the hands of his enemies. Now, it's interesting that though Saul's plan is clearly evil, It's interesting to note that he put a lot of stock in the power of a woman to ensnare and derail a young man. And just as it was a very real temptation and trap for David, so it is for all young men today. And not just young ones, for that matter. Proverbs chapter 7 describes how easily a young man can be seduced, derailed by a beautiful, enticing woman who is not his wife. Verses 21 to 23 state... With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. This is a description of what can happen to the young man who is derailed by his sexual appetites. Thankfully, Saul's plan fails. The reason, I believe, is that Saul miscalculated the fact that there is a tremendous difference between an illicit affair and a God-honoring marriage. 
You see, in marriage, a man and a woman are designed to complement and bring out the best in each other. And in the context of commitment, security, and faithfulness, sexuality can be enjoyed as God intended it. Hebrews 13, verse 4 says this, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now it's the last part of this verse, the snare, this is the part that King Saul hoped to trap David with. But instead of the snare of a wayward woman, David received the blessing of a wife who loves him. And in verse 28 we read, When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Now in all of these actions, David's initial conduct with women is honorable and above reproach. Michal loves him and undoubtedly he loved her. But as we learned last week, Saul's jealousy once again rears its ugly head. He tries to shish-kebab David to the wall with a spear for the third time. You know, that old saying about fool me once, uh, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, fool me three times. I don't even think there's a saying for that, is there? But nonetheless, the third time Saul tries to spear David to the wall, he runs to Michal for safe harbor Mikhail tells him, my dad has just lost it. He is intent on killing you. She helps him escape, and we saw that story last week. Mikhail is a blessing to David. But now there's consequences. David has to escape. He's a fugitive on the run. And so Saul, in his jealousy, in his anger, he promptly annuls their marriage, and he gives Mikhail, undoubtedly against her will, to be the wife of another man named Palti. Now here is the test for David as a husband. Would he honor his vows to the wife of his youth, Michal? Would he remain faithful to her even while they're apart? Would he fight for her? Would he return for her? Now in the Disney version, that's exactly what would happen. But we skip ahead now to 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 43 to the aftermath of David's dealings with the wicked man named Nabal. Now, the backstory on this, which we had read earlier, is that David had protected Nabal's flocks and his men. He had not harmed them. In fact, he had defended them. And so when he sends a few of his men to Nabal, a very wealthy man, for some simple sustenance, send us some bread, some wine, so that my men can feed and eat. We have helped you. Nabal refused and said, who is this David? Who is this outlaw? I will not help him. And so David is so angry, he's going to vindicate, he's going to take vengeance, and he takes his men and he's going to go and slaughter Nabal and and all of his men for this slap to the face. However, Abigail enters the scene. This is Nabal's beautiful wife. And she meets David along the way with food and says, "Take, take mercy on my husband. He is a fool. He is a wicked man. But do not do this. Do not take vengeance into your own hands. And so David listens to Abigail's advice. He receives her food and he does not take vengeance into his own hands. Now, we see God vindicates David. Nabal is struck down ten days later. And in the aftermath of this, David sends and takes Nabal's wife, Abigail, who is described as beautiful and intelligent, and he takes her to be his own wife. Now, at first glance, that doesn't seem to be all that bad. However, she's not even the first wife following Michal. Verse 43, we read this telling statement. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel, and they were both his wives. 
So here we see that though David is not doing anything wrong according to the culture in which he lived, he was still going against God's created design and inviting trouble and far-reaching consequences into his life. It set the stage for that fateful night still years into the future when King David would go for an evening stroll on the palace wall, look down to see the beautiful Bathsheba bathing in the privacy of her own courtyard. And even though she was the wife of another, one of David's own mighty men, Uriah the Hittite, David's appetite for beautiful women had grown into a full-blown sense of entitlement. He was king, after all. He deserved her. And so he summons her to his chambers that night, and the rest is well-documented history. She becomes pregnant. And when David's attempts to deceive Uriah into believing the child was his fail, he hatches a plan to have Uriah abandoned in battle and killed by the enemy. The consequences of these actions are devastating and far-reaching. The child conceived dies. A plague hits the nation. Then just as he had done with Abigail, David also takes Bathsheba to be his wife after Uriah's death. Inter-family strife ensues, and as the princes grow up, a battle for the throne rages, resulting in the death of David's son and countless others in a civil war. All as a consequence of David's own actions. The bottom line is this. All sin has consequences and separates us from God. But sexual sin, especially adultery, is one of the greatest destroyers of all. Because it doesn't just affect yourself, but so many others who are caught in its wake. This is one of the cautionary tales of David's life. And we see that though it was culturally accepted of his day for him to do what he had done, God's standard is different. And as we look at our culture today, there are many things that our culture say is is acceptable. It's fine. But what standard are we going to go by? Are we going to go by our culture's standard or by God's? This is something we need to think long and hard about. Something else I thought long and hard about was whether to use this next example, simply because it's so sad. But I feel I must because it's just so applicable today. One of the people exposed in the wake of the Ashley Madison scandal was a man whose name you probably recognize, Josh Duggar. Duggar is a member of the famous reality program 19 Kids and Counting with the Duggar family, a professing Christian family with great Christian values. But when the names were revealed of who had all been using this Ashley Madison service, it was revealed that his name was on the list. And this past week, he wrote this confession online. This is what he wrote. I have been the biggest hypocrite ever. While espousing faith and family values, I have secretly, over the last several years, been viewing pornography on the internet. And this became a secret addiction, and I became unfaithful to my wife. Duggar went on to admit that he's so ashamed of the double life he's been leading and is grieved for the hurt and disgrace he's caused his wife and their children. And most of all, Jesus and all those who profess faith in him. And he added, as I'm learning the hard way, we have the freedom to choose our actions, but we do not get to choose our consequences. I deeply regret all hurt I have caused to so many by being such a bad example. And then he went on to ask for forgiveness and for the prayers for his wife and children who are devastated. 
Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 35, warns a man to avoid adultery and says in verse 25, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. And here we read the tragic confession of a Christian man, Josh Duggar, who admits that his path to adultery was paved by pornography. He didn't just wake up one day and say, Hey, I'm going to sign up to Ashley Madison and cheat on my wife. That's not how it happens, my friends. I was just talking with a buddy this week about this, this issue, and he said something to me that really jumped out. He said, I used to think that adultery was something that just happened, something that just hits you out of nowhere, blindsided you. But he said, I'm beginning to see now that adultery is something that begins long before the action. It begins in the thoughts. It begins in the heart. It begins with dissatisfaction with what God has given you, and you begin looking elsewhere. And so it culminates in one day waking up and this being the day that you sign up for Ashley Madison or follow through on some action that ends up devastating a family. Oh, how desperately God wants us to avoid these sort of mistakes because the consequences are so far-reaching. They carry on from one generation to the next. Proverbs, in Proverbs, asks the question in verse 27, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? How many countless men and women are getting burned this very week? The reality is that even if you look and lust and never follow through in the actions, it's still wrong. Jesus said that you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. That's where the seed is sown. And now today, if your conscience is clear before God... If you know that this is not something you have erred or strayed into, you're not harboring this in your heart, what application does this message have for you? Well, first it's this. If you're married, if you're committed in a lifelong relationship with your husband or with your wife, what application does this have for you today? Let me challenge you with this. Double down on loving your husband or your wife with everything you've got. Double down, recommit on those vows that you made however many years ago. And say, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my husband with more than I've been doing lately. And I'm going to show it in my actions. I'm going to give even more. And if you have children, teach your children God's way. And don't just tell them about it, model it for them. Tell them about it and pray for them every day and every night that they would walk in it. Pray for their future spouses. Because it is such an important decision. Teach them God's way. Secondly, if you're dating, if you're in a, if you're in a relationship that you're, you're not married yet, but you're, you're dating, you're exploring the possibility of this relationship going towards marriage, in this process, I know it's difficult. I know there's temptation. I've been there. I've done that. But commit yourself to honoring each other and honoring God by remaining pure in both heart and body. You will never regret it, and God will bless you and strengthen you for it. Pray with everything you've got that God would help you. And finally, if you're single and you're here today, pray with everything that you have that God's will would be realized in your life. That God's will, his perfect will, would be done for you. And if that includes a future husband or wife, Pray that he would give you the daily strength and wisdom to remain pure for him and her in the future. And then pray that his will would be accomplished and that he would bring that person to you in his perfect way and in his perfect timing. 
And finally, if his will is for you to be single, that he would also reveal that to you and give you the strength to accept it graciously and to serve him wholeheartedly. And now I know that this is a hard subject this morning. It's not easy for me to preach about. I know this is awkward. I know it's uncomfortable. But ask yourself honestly why. Because maybe if you're squirming here today and feeling convicted, could it be that like David, you've justified your actions by the standard of the world rather than by the standard of God? That so long as you look but don't touch, it's no big deal, the world says. That viewing pornographic images is just harmless fun. Perhaps we've believed the lie that sex outside of marriage, so long as no one gets pregnant or has an STD, is just fine. Perhaps we've believed and accepted our cultural norm that living together outside of a lifelong committed union is okay. My friends, God's word on all of these things is clear. He says, flee sexual sin. But if like David, if like Josh Duggar, you found yourself ensnared, trapped, and feeling powerless to break free, start at the one place we all have to start. On your knees before the cross of Jesus Christ, because it is the only place in this world where we can find mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Go there, go to the cross, and recognize that Jesus is not pointing with hands of condemnation. No, he is holding them wide with hands of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Go there and confess, repent, and call on God for mercy, forgiveness, cleansing, and the power to break free. Because, my friends, we don't have the power within ourselves to defeat this temptation. It is only through God that we can have the victory. Finally, having done that, find a trusted person to whom you can confess, confide, and have hold you accountable to pray for you and encourage you in this battle. And this is exactly what David ended up doing, and we can read his prayer in Psalm 51. Verses 1 to 2, he writes, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, he finally concludes, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is coming from a man who has committed adultery and murder. And he believes that in God there is such mercy that he could be washed as clean as snow. My friends, God heard that prayer, and he was restored. Yes, he still had to deal with consequences, but God's mercy was poured out on his life that day. And so, my friends, the same holds true for you. No matter where you've been or what you have done, you can be clean today. For God's grace is truly greater than our greatest sin. Let's pray. Father God, how your heart must break. How deeply you must be grieved when you look at this world. When you see the heartache. When you see the devastation of those who have gone outside of your plan. Who have bought into the lies and the temptations of the world. Who have given in to the snares of the enemy. Oh Lord, when you see the children who are in the wake of these consequences, wondering what's happened and not fully understanding. Lord, where there's unfaithfulness, where there's brokenness, oh Father, here we know that your compassion and your mercy flows greatly, and yet the consequences are still very real. 
And so, Father, as we think of the countless thousands of marriages and families that are affected this week in the the wake of this Ashley Madison revelation, oh, Father, we just simply pray that there would be more who, like Josh Duggar, would simply confess and call out for mercy. We pray, Lord, even for him and for his family, that, oh, God, would, would mercy flow, would grace flow, would healing flow. Oh, God, would you restore that marriage, even as hard as it seems right now, Even as hurt as they are, Father, would you intercede for your glory's sake and for mercy upon those children in that family. Father, we pray the same for others in our community right around us who are going through divorce, who are estranged, separated, who are battling the children caught in the the wake of these things. Father, we pray that mercy, that grace could flow, that truth could prevail, and that, Father, there could be healing and restoration. We pray for this, Lord. And we pray now today for each of the people present here today, Lord. We pray for each marriage, each union that has been established in you, by you, sealed through your word, not by man's word. We're just representatives. You do the sealing of this union. Oh, God, we pray that you would strengthen each marriage here today. Lord, I pray that we as husbands, as wives, would double down on loving our spouses unconditionally with everything that we have. I pray, Lord, for those here today who are dating. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the ability to see you and to honor each other in their actions and in their conduct, remaining pure in heart and in action. Give them help. Give them strength today. And I pray, Lord, for those here today who are single. Would you guide them, Lord, to trust in you, to seek you above all else, that they would seek your will for their lives and believe that in the right time and right place, you will show them the spouse you have for them. I pray, God, that you would do this for them today. And Father, through this, we also pray that those of us who are struggling with secret sin, who have been struggling with pornography or lustful thoughts in our hearts, oh, Father, we confess that sin. And we pray, oh, God, that you would cleanse us, forgive us, and give us the strength and courage to break free, to seek help, And that we know that in you there is always hope. And so, Father, we pray that today you would work in our hearts, that we could be people who are truly after your heart. In all that we say, do, think, and act, for your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.